0: We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend.
1: Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, and I'm here with... Cheryl
0: Broderson. Yes. Isn't that interesting how we have to say our own names? I know, but like, we just yeah. Well, in case they don't know, I right, mean, right. Somebody's got to say it. I right. guess I could and have. It should you. be in our voice.
1: <laughs> that's right. That way, it's clear to everyone who's talking. Right. All this right. Is, so this is Cheryl. And that's Cheryl <laughs> talking. This is Cheryl, talking, and, this I'm is Cheryl and that's Jasmine. That's right. Here we are. <laughs> so, <laughs> as you uh, probably know, if you've been listening along with us, we have been talking about uh, women during the Tudor period in England, right? And the Tudor dynasty was, of course most famous or infamous for King Henry VIII. So right. uh, today, though, we're not going to talk about another wife. We've talked about a couple of those, but <laughs> we're going to talk about another woman who lived during that time. And boy, I mean, did she have a harrowing experience as we're she going did. to see.
0: But before we get to, and her name is Anne Askew. Oh, yes, Anne Askew. Before we do, I've got some honorable, or I, you oh, know, you I thought I first? would call them worthy, worthy mentions. I like worthy mention. That's nice. Worthy we always mentions. say honorable. Let's say worthy. Worthy, especially since this is women worth knowing. Ah. So I thought worthy mentioned, worthy knowing. All yeah, right. worthy knowing. <laughs> so the first one is Joan Botcher. Mm. And nobody's sure of her birth date or year. Mm. And she lived around the area of Kent, England in the 1530s. Okay. And most believe that she was introduced to the Anabaptist who fled from mm. persecution in Holland mm-hmm. and settled in the area. And... June soon became Joan soon became an Anabaptist and was outspoken in her belief that Jesus did not partake of Mary's flesh as per Luke one. So the Catholics taught that Jesus about the transubstantiation was a substantiation thing? No. Okay, go ahead. But that okay. too. Okay. Sorry. That's coming up too. But this is about that that she did that Jesus was like they believed Mary's son. He was divinely conceived of the Holy Spirit in Mary, so he didn't have any of um, Mary's nature. Right. So anyway, she also did not believe in infant baptism, but that Mm -hmm. baptism should be for adults who are committing their lives to Jesus. Finally, she didn't believe in transubstantiation or the belief that the bread and cup became the actual body of Jesus during communion. Right. She was said to have smuggled copies of Tyndale's Bibles from the continent to England under her skirt. She was arrested in 1548 and excommunicated, but then released. Then she was rearrested in 1549, same year as Anne Askew, Mm. and was burned at the stake in 1550 at Smithfield. And she was a known friend and associate of Anne Askew. It was said that Kramner was foremost in pushing for her execution, and Edward VI, the son of Henry VIII, Mm. he sanctioned it. Wow. but felt pressured to do so and always regretted it. And he was it a was kid, so, yeah, that's a hard decision to make, yeah. Right, so that's Joan. Now we're going to talk about—now we're going to get into the gentry. Now we're going to talk about Dorothy Stafford. Now, she was born October first, fifteen 1526. Her father was the first baron of Stafford. She was the second wife of William Stafford, a cousin, who had been married to Anne Boleyn's sister, Mary. Hmm. So Mary died in 1543. But the interesting thing about Dorothy Stafford, besides her marriage, was that her grandmother was executed for treason. Her mother was her grandmother was oh. Margaret Pohl. but it was really because she was the last of the Plantagenets. Oh, and right. Henry felt like she was a threat to the throne. So the war that of the Roses, was, that whole thing, exactly. Oh, okay. So it was all trumped up charges, but that was her grandmother. Dorothy herself was a Protestant and known to both Catherine Parr and Askew, so she's friends with both of them. During the reign of Queen Mary, she fled to the continent called the Marian Exile. That's when— Yeah. Were you talking about that before? Ran away Mm -hmm. from Bloody Mary. 800 members of the aristocracy left England to avoid execution by Mary. That is a lot of people. That's pretty remarkable. It is. It's like a couple shiploads, right? Yeah. (laughs) She and her family settled in Switzerland, and this is what's really interesting too. And John Calvin was the godfather to her son. Wow. (laughs) Connections. When she and her husband, when when Elizabeth came into power, she and her husband decided to move to back to England, and John Calvin opposed it because he felt like it would ruin their faith. However, it did not. And she returned to be an influence on Elizabeth and served as Elizabeth's mistress of the robes for 40 years. Wow. Isn't that interesting? The Lord used
1: her there. That's awesome.
0: Oh, a lot. Now, Anne Calthorpe, or the Countess of Sussex. So she died between the 22nd of August, 1579, and the 28th of March, 1582. Now, how can a person die that many times or in that... (laughs) The answer is— There have been a few people like that, yeah. Nobody knows. We don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows, but she was an English courtier. She was the second wife of Henry Radcliffe, second Earl of Sussex, who divorced her in 1555 on the grounds of her alleged bigamous marriage to Sir Edward Nevette and her unnatural and unkind character. They were trumped-up charges. Yeah, that's—well— wow. She served as a lady-in-waiting to the household of the Queen Consort, Catherine Parr, who you know, who was the sixth wife of Henry VIII. She also shared her reformed beliefs with Catherine Parr. She was implicated in the heresy of Anne Askew in 1552. The, so that would have been like Anne's first arrest, not the later ones. And she was sent to the Tower of London for having practiced sorcery and having made treasonous prophecies. So her husband did that to her. Mm-hmm. On November twenty seventh, 1542, Her husband succeeded as the second Earl of Sussex, and from that date onward, she was styled Countess of Sussex. He also became the 11th Baron of Fitzwalter and the second Viscount Fitzwalter. So this is why he has so much prestige. Mm -hmm. In 1543, she went to court as a lady-in-waiting to the queen whose reformed beliefs she shared. She was one of the queen's ladies personally named by Anne Askew's interrogators. They asked Anne, do you know? Hmm the Countess of Sussex. She was questioned by a commission for heirs in scripture. Her marriage to Radcliffe was not successful, as I mentioned before, and they differed on religious issues. Between 1547 and 1549, they separated after he expelled her from their home, accusing her of having entered into a bigamous marriage with Sir Edward Nevit. In a letter written by Anne to her mother, she alleged that Radcliffe had thrown her out of his house without money, men, women, or meat, And no more than two velvet gowns. Can you imagine? No more than two. Oh, wow. Geez. Poor thing. Yes. In (laughs) September 1552, she was released five and a half months after her arrest following the accession of Mary I to the English throne. Isn't that interesting? So she was actually saved by Mary coming to the throne rather than executed. And then fled to the continent to avoid persecution for Protestant beliefs. In her absence, Radcliffe had a bill introduced in Parliament against the adulterous living of the late Countess of Sussex. (laughs) It didn't pass. The following year, Radcliffe attempted to disown her sons, their sons together, and have them ruled illegitimate. This also failed. In 1555, he tried again with yet another bill, this time to prevent her from enjoying her dowry or joint rights uh, that did pass. And he really had it in for her. Mm -hmm. He described Anne as having been unnatural and unkind, and they divorced on November thirteenth, fifteen 1555. But shortly after Radcliffe's death in February 1557, she returned to England. In his will, Radcliffe styled her as an unkind wife. There it is again. By April of that same year, she was a prisoner in the fleet. The following year, a bill of parliament settled the matter of her, her jointure And in 1559, she married, secondly, Andrew Weiss, a former royal officer in Ireland. Their marriage is confirmed by the patent rolls of chancery in Ireland. So she died in Ireland. But Hmm. she was highly known for her Protestant views and in the court of Catherine Parr. Now we're going to get to Joan Denny. Um, Her maiden name was Chapernaun. Um, She's also known as Lady Denny. This woman is so precious. Her family was very close to the Parr family. Her father was Sir Philip Carew. She favored the reformed views and was known for her great beauty. She first joined the court as a maid of honor for Catherine of Aragon, and perhaps Mm -hmm. she met Maud Parr, Catherine's mother, while they were both in Catherine of Aragon's court court. together. Mm -hmm. She married Anthony Denny in 1538. Her husband, Sir Denny, was a favorite of King Henry VIII. Joan was said to have protected the persecuted reformers residing in Cornwall. Mm. She was also one of the women that Gardiner was trying to implicate through mm. the trial of Anne Askew. She secretly sent money to Anne Askew while Anne lingered in the Tower of London. Wow. After the death of Henry VIII, Joan retired from court duty. However, Catherine Parr sent Princess Elizabeth to live with her old friend after Elizabeth and Thomas Seymour were caught in a dalliance. In a dalliance. I love the phrasing. (laughs) I know. She died in 1553. And now this one is really interesting because we mentioned Catherine Willoughby or the Duchess of Suffolk Mm. um, earlier. She was the daughter of the 11th Baron William Willoughby who was married to Mary Salinas. Do you know who Mary Salinas was? No. Get this. She was Catherine of Aragon's Lady in Waiting. Mm -hmm. She was also Spanish and had come over with Catherine of Aragon accompanying Mm -hmm. her. Strong Catholic I imagine. Okay. Well – (laughs) Interestingly enough, Mary had come from Spain as Catherine's companion and friend. So Catherine Willoughby was named after Catherine of Aragon by her mother, Mary Salinas, who was Catherine of Aragon's closest friend. Now, her father, Baron Willoughby, took ill and died when Catherine was only seven. She was his only heir and therefore inherited a vast fortune. She was left to the care of Henry VIII, who sold his wardship, to his brother-in-law, Charles Brandon, he had been married to Henry VIII's sister, Mary. So Mary had been his first wife. Charles was also the first Duke of Suffolk. And for a time, Catherine was engaged to Mary Tudor and Charles Brandon's son, Henry. So Henry was in line for this Henry. So many Henrys and was, Marys. Yes. And everyone was an Henry. Yeah. This Henry was in line for the throne. Oh. Intriguing. But He died. And when his mother Mary died, Charles Brandon decided to marry the young heiress himself. Like, you know, my sons aren't available. (laughs) I think I'll do it. He was 49 at the time, and she was 14. Yikes. Albeit, the marriage was said to be a very, very happy one. Wow. Sometime during her marriage to Charles, the Duchess came to embrace Protestantism. Mm. Nobody quite knows. It could have been under the influence of Catherine Parr, her brother William Parr. Anyway, the Duchess of Suffolk was noted for her wit, her sharp tongue, and devotion to learning. By the last years of Henry VIII's reign, the Duchess of Suffolk was also an outspoken advocate of the English Reformation. Hmm. She became a close friend to Henry's last queen, Catherine Parr, particularly after the Duke died in 1545, and was a strong influence on the queen's religious beliefs. In 1546, as these views grew controversial, the king ordered the queen's arrest. Though his wife managed to cajole him into canceling this, the interesting thing is that he was considering the Duchess of Suffolk for wife number seven. Whoa. Oh, my God. And it was probably a land grab And because of her wealth. The Duchess of Suffolk once gave a banquet. And during a party game afterwards, named Bishop Gardner as the man she loved the least. In fact, she named her pet spaniel Gardner, provoking much amusement when she called her dog to heal
1: and sit oh my gosh. and obey
0: her. Several years later, when Gardner was imprisoned during the reign of King Edward VI, she's quoted as saying, it was merry with the lambs when the wolf was shut up. Wow. Yeah, Gardner was a bad guy. Yeah, he We'll was. find that out yeah? today. Oh, yeah. Suffolk died the 22nd of August, 1545, and it was rumored that the king was, had considered her uh, as his seventh wife. Catherine financed the printing of Catherine Parr's book, Lamentations of a Sinner. Oh, interesting. However, it is said, like other friends of Catherine Parr, she was very distraught and upset over Catherine Parr's marriage to Thomas Seymour. Mm-hmm. After Catherine Parr's death, she was appointed guardian of Mary Seymour, daughter of Catherine Parr, Thomas Seymour. She petitioned the court on behalf of Mary to receive her, her mother, Catherine's, estate, which her uncle had seized. She was also the guardian to Lady Mary Gray. Oh, Lady Mary, or Lady Jane. Both? or one of Yeah. Both? Okay. Well— I think Lady Mary Gray and Lady Jane Gray, I think, are the the same person. And I think they were the same name. Jane had a couple little sisters. Uh, Maybe it was one of those. Maybe it was a little sister. Yeah. In 1551, both the Duchess's son, already students at Cambridge, died within an hour of each other due to the sweating sickness. Four months afterwards, attempting to reconcile herself to this tragedy... Catherine wrote to Sir William Cecil that truly I take this as God's last and to the first sight most sharp and bitter punishment, not for the least of his benefits, inasmuch as I have never been so well taught by any other before to know his power, his love, and mercy, my own wickedness, and that wretched state that without him I should endure here. In recovering from this misfortune and its severe test of her faith, Catherine built a new life. In this period, she employed Hugh Latimer as her chaplain. Mm. She married her second husband, a member of her household. Uh, He was a servant. Out of love and shared religious beliefs, but she continued to be known as the Duchess of Suffolk, and her efforts to have her husband named Lord Willoughby de Ursby, her second husband, were unsuccessful. In 1555, during the reign of Queen Mary, the birdies were among the Marian exiles. She died in 1580 at the ripe old age of 61.
1: That's actually old for back then to yeah. make it that long.
0: Yes. Without getting executed by Henry. Right. Or by Mary. <laughs> or, yeah, or that too. Exactly. Or the sweating sickness. There were so yeah. many things and fires, all these common things. Gosh. That brings us to Anne Askew. Ah, all these women connected to her. They are. Anne was born in 1521 to Sir William Askew. Now, her father, William, was a wealthy landowner, and in the court of Henry VIII, he was always trying to prove his loyalty to King Henry. I think anyone in that court was. Yeah. I mean, because King Henry's kind of dangerous. Totally. Yeah, he could die at any moment. <laughs> right. In 1513, he had gone to France with Henry VIII on Henry's campaign against France, and for that, he was knighted. Because he was in Lincolnshire, he was appointed sheriff of Lincolnshire and expected to keep the Catholic rebels in check. Some say that William was too gracious in his peacekeeping efforts, leaving him under the suspicion of the court in London. William served on the jury that condemned Anne Boleyn. Isn't that interesting? wow. William had seven children by two different wives. It is of note that William had been a Catholic. But when Henry broke from the church, he had William's full support because William was a royalist, Mm. and it would seem an opportunist. Yes. (laughs) Anne was the fourth child by his first marriage and his second daughter. So by his first marriage, he had two girls and two boys. So he was always looking for ways to increase his wealth security and holdings, and that's why he married his second wife, because she had holdings. Mm. He owned houses in Sillingborough. South Kelsey, Nuthall, uh, Bussing, Spaulding, and lands in Lincolnshire, Lancaster, Yorkshire, and Leicester. Wow. He was chosen by King Henry to be part of a party of aristocrats that welcomed Emperor Charles V to England at Canterbury. And he was of the party that traveled with the Emperor and Henry um, throughout the various sites of England. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty important. Yeah. Because I don't think we realize, you know, when you hear about Anne and being burned at the stake, that she was of the gentry. Right. She wasn't just a random commoner. That's right. And Henry especially favored William because he needed peacekeeping and loyalists up in the north because that's where that was the, like, hub of the Catholic rebels. Right. Well, and it's close to Scotland, too. That would always be a problem. So always, (laughs) always. Yes. At one point during the Pilgrimage of Grace, William, her father, had been cat- kidnapped by Catholic rebels, just like Baron what Latimer, happened, yeah, yeah. who was Catherine Parr's second husband. husband. yeah. After his release, wanting to maintain peace and good relations with them, he showed them grace at the trial. He arranged a marriage for his eldest daughter, Martha, to a man named Thomas Keim. Keim was a Catholic of Catholics, and he lived in the country, was barely educated, but he had land holdings and a slight pedigree. Sir Thomas Keim. He lived in a place called Friskney, which was a farming community full of marshes and very much unlike the wooded landscape of the more sophisticated South Kelsey where Anne's family was from. Hmm. The people of Friskney were also unsophisticated, taciturn, and unwelcoming and pretty much uneducated. Mm -hmm. So Anne had become a Protestant perhaps through the influence of her brother Francis. Hmm. Francis had gone to college at Cambridge, and there he went to college and met such notables as Cranmer and Miles Coverdale. Ooh, that's big. Mm -hmm. seems the school, students and staff, had become obsessed with the writings of Erasmus Hmm. and Martin Luther. Hmm. At one point, these writings were banned at Cambridge campus, and all the copies that were found were burned in a huge bonfire. Nevertheless... At that time, a pub frequented by students and staff was renamed Little Germany. Oh, interesting. And another place called the White Horse Inn was called the Holy Club. (laughs) Thomas Bilney was a popular and well-loved professor at the time, and he had gotten saved, or as they called it, radicalized. Oh, yes. That's what they would say from the Catholic side. That's right. By reading Erasmus New Testament. Mm -hmm. At the same time that Anne's brother Francis was coming under the influence of radical Christians at Cambridge, there were men who sold forbidden contraband door-to-door. And do you know what that forbidden contraband was? Bibles? Tyndale's Bible Um, translation Mm -hmm. and Martin uh, Luther's—translations of Martin Luther's book. Wow. Her brother Thomas became a page in the household of Thomas Kramer. So there you are. She had a copy of Tyndale's Bible and read it constantly. Mm -hmm. She was very, very educated, brilliant. So her father insisted on the education of all his children. Awesome. uh, Knowing, seeing their brilliance. Again, he's an opportunist, so who knows why he did it. (laughs) She also memorized scripture and loved to discuss doctrine and biblical themes. She publicly disagreed with the idea of transubstantiation and her views created quite a stir in the heavily Catholic area of Lincolnshire. Yeah, that was the big issue. Transubstantiation was a huge, that was it. huge issue. Yeah. Yep. And that's pretty much what got her on, you know, um, to the stake. But mm. when her sister Martha died unexpectedly, her father, not wanting to return the dowry to the Kime family, offered his 15-year-old daughter Anne in her place. Oh, jeez. Kime, as I mentioned before, was a devout Catholic, a farmer, and a landowner, and perhaps— Anne's father helped to solidate peace in his country by joining his royalist family to a strong Catholic family. Mm. But guess what? It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Anne was miserable. Mm. She was away from her brothers, friends, and fellowship. She was surrounded by mainly uneducated people. So Anne decided to change the atmosphere. She began to talk to the servants, to the town folk, and anyone else about the Bible and her faith telling them Bible stories, preaching to them. Awesome. Her husband heard about her preaching and tried to forbid her from preaching or even reading her Bible. By this time, Anne had two children by Thomas Kine, and when she wouldn't submit to his wishes, he threw her out. Um, It's believed that he was physically abusive to her, too. Yeah, that's
1: yeah, and matters.
0: again, women had no rights in those times. Yeah,
1: I mean, gosh, the, she had no say in getting married to him in the first place. Nope. I mean, these nope. girls just, yeah. I mean, I'm amazed that she made the most of the opportunity. Like, I guess I'll just share the gospel and
0: <laughs> with everybody around me. That's awesome. But this is interesting because Anne went to stay with her brother Francis sometime around 1540. And she sought a divorce and was the first woman on record in mm-hmm. England who sought a divorce from her husband Wow. on scriptural grounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Usually it was the husband seeking divorce from his oh, wife. yeah. Yeah, women didn't have rights. So oh, yeah. she cited 1 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And she felt like that might work in the court of King Henry VIII because mm-hmm. her husband was not a royalist and had ties to the Catholic rebels. So she thought, hmm, I've got an in here. She also cited 1 Corinthians 7.12 through 15 about letting an unbeliever depart. Hmm. You know, in a marriage, if the Mm -hmm. unbeliever is Mm -hmm. not willing to stay with you— Reconcile, yeah. Yeah, then you should let him depart. She wrote, My friends told me if I did come Hmm. to Lincoln, the priest would assault me and put me to great trouble. As thereof, they had made their boast. And when I heard it, I went thither indeed, not being afraid, because I knew my matter to be good— Moreover, I remained there nine days—remember, she's like a teenager at this Mm. point—to see what would be said unto me. And as I was in the minster reading upon the Bible, they resorted unto me by two, and then another two, by five, and then by six, minding to have spoken unto me, yet went their ways again without speaking a word. There was not even one of them at the last which spoke to me. And then finally one did, and his words were of small effect." There was no law that they could find against her. She was not violating what came to be known as the Six Articles, and she was part of the genti- gentry, gentry who were permitted by the law of the Act of the Advancement of True Religion to read the Bible hmm. for their own edification. Wow. However, women were not to read the word of God publicly or to talk about it because that would maybe desecrate the word of god if a woman spoke it publicly or spoke it out they wouldn't know what they were talking about right oh boy it is important at this time to mention what the six articles were Mm -hmm. it excluded from prosecution all alleged offenses more than a year old like well a year ago i heard this pastor say nope was thrown out of court interesting and also stated that no sermons could be challenged after 40 days had passed Hmm. This seemed to open the door for more Protestant teachings and proclamations of the gospel. Yeah, I would think so. Anne would have continued to stay with her brother Francis, but he was called away in the summer of 1544 to be the captain in Henry VIII's assault on France. Remember how Henry went back? Right. Without the protection of her older brother, Anne knew she was vulnerable, so she decided to go to London and seek a divorce, maybe even to petition um, the court of Henry VIII himself. After all— Her family was influential in the North, and she knew that Henry had a prejudice against Catholics, Mm -hmm. and especially the Catholic rebels of the North. Interesting. Anne had a friend and mentor in London, John Lascelles. I I look at this like, do you know that name? Not that one. (laughs) He was her instructor and an enthusiastic Protestant. Awesome. Anne had other friends like Edward Hall, who served in the royal court of which Catherine Parr was in charge due to Henry's absence. So Anne lived for a year in London, seemingly without any trouble. However, she did place a petition with the bishop's court about her divorce, but this was a lengthy process, mm-hmm. and while she waited, she took her maiden name, Askew, because it had greater prestige in London, among other things. Interesting. And it was known to the royal court because her brother had served in the royal court. And she was probably okay, too, because Catherine was kind of holding down the fort right while That's Henry right. was gone, That's so right. there was Protestant sympathy there. And mm-hmm. helped. <laughs> But her father had been a good friend of Henry VIII. There's that too, And her brother had served in France and was serving in France. So the name Askew had— Smart. Wow, she was really very wise in the way she (laughs) negotiated. Absolutely. And she also had many friends and um, listened to a lot of notable Protestants while she was in Mm. London. She was said to have had a lively and engaging personality. She was also well-dressed, well-educated, and had fine breeding. Mm-hmm. She became a favorite among the Protestants for her gospeling or bold proclamation of the gospel. I mean, she just did not back down. Right, even though women weren't allowed. It's mm-hmm. like, well. <laughs> and she knew the articles of faith. She had a quick wit, and she knew her Bible well. Mm-hmm. It was said that she could quote a scripture on just about any topic that came up in conversation. Wow. She was not afraid of confrontation or authority. She expressed her opinion freely to priests, bishops, canon— lawyers and doctors of theology and again she knew what her rights were as a woman and her rights were according to the six articles so she knew those acts yeah very smart mm-hmm. and so however it was this open candor that brought her under the suspicion of the authorities hmm. she was arrested in march 1544 with two others Joan sautry the wife of a london merchant and thomas luking a servant of a justice of the king's bench, and she was tried by what was called the quest at Guildhall for speaking against the sacrament. Hmm. No witnesses came forward against them, and they were all found not guilty by, and now I quote Anne, 12 honest and substantial men of the city of London. Hmm. However, one of those who witnessed the proceedings and knew that she was petitioning the court for a divorce was a man named Master Wadlow. And he took an instant dislike to Anne. Mm -hmm. He just did not like her. She seemed brazen. And the fact that she was a woman seeking a divorce, he thought she would set a terrible precedence in London and Mm. especially England. So he got lodging near her residence and began to spy on her in order to collect evidence against her, especially to see if she had any contact with any of the members of Catherine Parr's court. Oh, creepy. Mm -hmm. Because there were those, Gardner, Especially mm-hmm. who thought Catherine Parr was exerting too great an influence in the royal court and most notably toward the king. Anne lived near the temple close to Westminster in the Inns of Court, and that's exactly where Master Wadlow got his lodgings. Mm. And that's all I'm going to do for today. Ooh, you We're going to have to tell what's to part simmering two. here. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, my goodness. It's quite a bit. So, Um, Anne is is so notable and there's so much more to her, but I'm going to have to save it for next week. That's okay. It's good to have cliffhangers like this. Yes. (laughs) Encourage everyone to come back. Right. And we did um, worthy mentions of Mm -hmm. women from Catherine Parr's court, but we want to start having worthy mentions of some of the uh, women and people that you the listeners right in yes and we've
1: started we've done a. we've started to do a couple of those here and there and we've got more coming up and so uh, sometimes what we might do is conclude an episode with just a little mini bio mini story that's been sent in um, at some point we might even have somebody else come in and share a,
0: about somebody they know yes so in fact got, we're we, we have that that is, that is a
1: plan yes yes
0: <laughs> we have that so we're we even in the the schedule so We want to thank you. And again, if you have someone worth mentioning, please write us at Mm -hmm. WWK at cccm.com. That doesn't work. No, not anymore. Nope. (gasps) It's not working. You have to go to women at cccm.com and and then go to the link WWK. Oops. Okay. Well, there you go, folks. That's a good update. I did not realize. That's right. (laughs) Brian Perez, I was in studio with him and he tried to do it and didn't work. So it's like, okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. You have it women at cccm.com. And then go to the link, Women Worth Knowing, and we'd love to hear from you. There we go. Thank you all for who have persevered and written to us. Yes. And you'll hear it. So you got to listen to the next episodes. Keep tuning in. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk@cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends.